I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Two If by Sea is the feature-length documentary directed by Justin Purser that charts the lives of twin brothers CJ and Damian Hobgood from humble beginnings on the space coast of Florida to a world title, a few near-death wipeouts, marriages, children, divorce. The film is an unflinching look at the fast-paced life of being a professional surfer on the world tour, access to every vice, having piles of money one year, and then very little income the next. And while all of this kind of creates a really interesting and entertaining circumstance, and it certainly offers a fun peek behind the curtain of pro surfing, the tension in the film is centered around identity. It's also the heart of the film, twin rivalry. CJ and Damien are born into a unique circumstance with a bizarrely similar world-class talent, and they spend their lives trying to elevate one another and simultaneously subvert each other, or at the very least, just outperform one another. The film is yet to be digitally released, but I'll keep you posted on when that happens. Screenings have been hitting the East Coast. They're going to be on the West Coast of the United States next week, Thursday, July 25th at the Lido Theater in Newport Beach, um, and then Friday, July 26th at La Paloma in Encinitas. I highly recommend that you secure tickets in advance as both events will sell out. You can follow their social media feeds to find additional screenings near you. I'll post links to all of that stuff and how to purchase tickets on surfsplendorpodcast.com. In regard to today's conversation, though, it was recorded in two parts at the Florida Surf Film Festival. They were screening the film, and so they flew uh, out the director, Justin Purser. They flew out Damian Hobgood and myself. CJ drove over from Orlando. So the first 45 minutes of this episode is a one-on-one conversation with myself and the filmmaker, Justin Purser. And then the last 20 minutes are a live Q&A that was held after the screening with CJ, Damo, and Justin. So special thanks to Kevin Miller and John Brooks from the Florida Surf Film Festival. They hold screenings quarterly, and they do a phenomenal job of curating and supporting surf film. And more importantly, just pulling together that local community in New Smyrna Beach and the surrounding areas. So I'll link to all of their info on our website as well. And just as kind of an entry into this, um, as I was setting up the mics for this interview with Justin, we were talking about YouTube celebrities. I don't know why. Actually, I do know why. Justin was telling me 
about work that he was doing with a couple of YouTube celebrities, the duo who was, um, they were making $15,000 per video and they were posting a video every day and I was just kind of blown away by the numbers of that. So that's kind of the entry point that I'm gonna drop you into the middle of our conversation with. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor. I hope that you enjoy our conversation about the new film, And Two, If By Sea. Thanks. There's so many YouTube celebrities now that if we, my dad and I were coming through Orlando mm-hmm. Airport, mm-hmm. we wouldn't know who they were. No. But they are making that type of money off of it. Yeah. Well, that's how, when we started it, like, we would say that it was amazing because these guys had, they had millions of fans, millions of subscribers. They could, but they could walk through um, Times Square and not a single person recognize them. And the difference is, is, is they're, they're, not, they're more of a celebrity in the sense that they're a friend. So people right. will come up to them as a friend more than a fan. It's so Because they feel like they know them, yeah. That's an interesting dynamic. I've had people tell me that, uh, guests that I've had on this podcast, who have acclaim from, in video, like national, you know, mm-hmm. internationally distributed TV shows and stuff like that. But they said people at the airport will come up to them and mention this podcast. Oh, wow. Because they probably wouldn't feel comfortable just going to approach the guy that they know from TV, mm-hmm. but then they heard his story on the podcast yeah. and that resonated with them in a yeah. personal way and they do feel comfortable. They feel like they they feel like they were listening. This, what I love about a podcast is, and that's what CJ and I are talking about with doing multiple people, was you're sort of eavesdropping in on a conversation. Right. And that's sort of the, 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 the allure of it. And it is, it's more personal. So. Totally. And I've had listeners also say that they argue back to their radio while they're driving, you know? <laughs> so they feel like they're actually in the conversation. Yeah. But the other detail I was thinking about with the YouTube kind of anonymity, mm-hmm. you know, not full-blown celebrity, mm-hmm. was um, we went to Graceland a few years ago for oh, like a yeah. family reunion. Yeah. And I had... I obviously know who Elvis is, but I had no real appreciation for him. Uh Wasn't part of my youth growing up. And then going and witnessing that and the spectacle of it was like, part of it was at that time, there was very few celebrities. Yeah. There was Marilyn Monroe. Mm -hmm. There was Frank Sinatra. Mm -hmm. So everyone's adoration is just divided by five people, really. Exactly. Nowadays, it's divided amongst Beyonce, Justin Bieber, millions of YouTube people like... People you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So it's weird to think that for Elvis, he was a mega, 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 mega star. star yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a level of celebrity we don't even have today. It was, almost. yeah. But it was, but in that era, there also was such a level of um, you couldn't reach them. There was no, there was no way yeah. to find out where they were or what they were doing. You know, you. I mean, there was telephone. There wasn't, you know. Yeah. So, so it was, it was weird. They were mega stars, but they could hide easier. I feel like completely. Yeah. 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 So, um, well, we do want to talk about the film and to yes. I see, but let's get into your backstory real quick since we kind of started there. Mm-hmm. What's your backstory? My backstory is uh, it's sort of full circle to the film. I grew up here in Florida making surf movies. I uh, I was a um, my parents went to Japan and bought this video camera when I was like 15 years old. I was a surfer, of course. I was surfing, and you know that's all you do when you grow up here and on the beach. So, uh, and it's. You know, our little st- stretch of sand from Cocoa Beach to Satellite Beach to Sebastian Island is tiny, and we every surfer knew pretty much every surfer at that point. Um, so my parents bought this video camera back from Japan, and it was no one had it. It was like a high eight, and it was just cool. Every, no one had ever seen it, and it, the quality was amazing. And I had got a zoom lens. So strangely enough, a surf photographer named Tom Dugan lived down the street from me. He runs ESM. So he would go shoot photos, and so I was like, I'm gonna come shoot video with you. So I started shooting video. And that became huge. Like so, I would go down to Sebastian Inlet and you know shoot Matt Keckley, 
you know, Todd Morkum, Kelly Slater, you know, and, and then we would go back to Tom's house and everyone will come back and we, we could watch the video immediately, you know, and everyone, and the quality was great. And then it led to um, sometimes Kelly Slater picking me up from school because he's a little bit older than me and taking me down to the inlet to video him or wherever he was going to go surf and then going back to my house and, and him watching himself like frame by frame by frame by frame and me wondering what's this guy doing but then later realizing what he was doing is he was watching himself to how to shift his weight on different on airs on the way he would the, the 360 spins he started doing I actually have it Sad that I need to find the tape, but I have the first one he ever pulled on no on on a high eight tape somewhere. So. Unreal. Yeah. So and they used some of my footage in Kelly Slater Black and White. I was going to ask if that footage. Yeah, ended yeah. Up some of the footage from the yeah. it was mine. Yeah. So I started really young doing that, and and then and then you know and then CJ and Damien came along, and so I, I started making surf videos out of Florida, and I would travel with them, and uh, we made one together called All the Way Live in like 2001 or 2002, and um, I just I had gotten. I, I had burned out on it, you know. I lugging the cameras in and out of customs on boats and being the guy on the beach sweating while everyone else is getting to enjoy good waves. And I had done a surfing magazine trip to Barbados with uh, Pat O'Connell and a couple guys, and I came home and I was just like, I can't do this anymore. So I just was Saxon Boucher on that trip. No, I don't think he was. Ross Williams. No, oh, okay. it was like it was. I forget. It was Jolson Tio. Um, it was only, I can't remember honestly I, okay. it's all sort of yeah, become yeah. great at this point but I just remember Pat um, but um, anyways um, I, I was sitting in my living room in Florida and I was just like I don't know what I want I don't want to do this anymore and, and, and a Britney Spears music video came on and I was like it was baby one more time and I was like I don't really know what this is but I think I want to do that and I don't know how, what that even means but that's what I want to do and I literally packed my bags in a month sold everything moved out to california lived in newport with some friends and just started from the bottom like hand, going around handing out my resume trying to get i had made it pretty big in in the surfing world like taylor Steele. i was the first all the way live the last movie i i made was the first movie that taylor Steele distributed that he didn't make himself so um that was quite special so i'd made it in that world but i had to start back over and music videos and i st- i started as an assistant and I worked my way up. I started writing treatments with directors. Um, you know, I would, one of the last things I did was I, um, I worked with a director named Jake Nava and who directed a lot of Beyonce videos. And um, he, I, um, I had found this YouTube clip of this, this Bob Fosse dance routine that um, someone had put to the hip hop song, Walk It Out. And it was on this, and Bob Fosse was this famous 60s choreographer. So it was these white girls with you know beehives dancing to this hip-hop song and it just but it looked like honestly it was choreographed to this to this video and um it was this vi- treatment came in that uh beyonce wanted to do a video for a co- song called single ladies and i said jake just show her this 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 clip and showed it to her and uh that's what was recreated and next thing you know you know it becomes the biggest yeah. viral music video of all time pretty yeah. much so um, and then from there, I, I, I knew that was my time out. So I, um, I left and became a music video director. So Amazing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, your role, it sounds like your role there wasn't, I mean, you went into it with the idea of being a director specifically or being mm-hmm. camera operation? D- or? A director. I gotcha. just, I didn't know what I, I didn't know. I thought that's what I wanted to do, but I wasn't someone that was going to say, this is what I'm going to do, but I want to see what it was. So I got to learn the process from beginning to end, like working at production companies is like the production coordinator. And with amazing directors, like I got to be on set with like David Fincher and Mark Romanek and Spike Jones, and like wow. just kind of be a fly on the wall. And then and then directors like Jake Nava like like taught me and took me under their wing on how to create a real a real music video. So, gotcha. um, but yeah, yeah. I, I'd always loved surfing and, and I and stayed in touch with 
you know everyone that I I'd grown up with. Even so. the music video thing, the um, it's changed so much in that it used to be designed for uh, MTV, obviously. Yeah. And I was almost wondering if they went away, but they haven't really. They're still equally invested in. It's just they end up on YouTube now, right? Yeah. I mean, the budgets basically dropped about ninety percent in about eight years. What happened was um, when the economy crashed, and then actually went. More importantly, when they went to YouTube. So here's the difference is, so now when a music video is on Vivo, it's, it's we were just talking about this, it's monetized, right? So now a video is now part of the, 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 the business plan for an artist where in, in the 360 aspect, whereas before music video was marketing money. So they would drop a half a million dollars to make this commercial to go on MTV, which was the music video. And when your money goes from marketing to part of how your, you know, your income um, you want to spend less to make more. So they drop the budgets, the record labels, because the record labels now use that money that they make from the videos as income versus before it was like, you know, marketing money. So the budgets just, they've gone to just almost nothing. And and, and, it's, and honestly, that's part of why I made this documentary was I got to the point where it's like, I'm like, this isn't what I signed up for. This is what I didn't, I spent eight years trying to get into this party and I got into the party and they were like, party's over, everyone right. out. So right. I, I just, I can't, personally make some of those budgets work i tried and tried and it just wasn't what i had learned how to do so i wasn't learned i didn't know how to do it at that level i only knew how to do it at the level where you hire this talent and and create this project so um but yeah what's your grandest ambition like as a filmmaker as a filmmaker i i one day i would like to actually make a real feature yeah what happened with all my music videos ended up being narratives and that's sort of also what led me to this documentary it's like i always i guess i always wanted to tell a story and everything I just love to tell stories so um, and that's with this documentary like I approached it in a different way I approached it like this is a feature like let's approach this like we're telling a true story but let's not try to tell it as um, as so much as a documentary let's make it more fun let's make let's build three acts you know let's build it with you know the, the rise and fall of the hero you know let's let's show all that so let's pick that apart a little bit because obviously you have two really protagonists when you look at the their Damien Damien and uh, CJ's life, how do you even structure it? Where do you even pick the narrative? Which plot points do you pick for the three act structure? Yeah, it's interesting you say that. So, what, what I, I don't like to just dive into something and not know what I'm doing. And I didn't know documentary world. And to be honest, I don't watch a lot of documentaries. And I feel like a lot of documentaries, the subjects are so heavy that you scroll through your TV and you're like, I heard that's really good but I don't want to be depressed right now. Have Moving you, on. Have you seen The Act of Killing? No. So it won like an Academy Award yeah. and all that. And I, I've been, it's been on my list for five years and yeah. I don't watch it for that yeah. exact reason. Yeah. And everybody's like, it's amazing. It's the best documentary ever. And I start it and I go, ah, I'm just not up Yes. Yeah. So what my, I wanted to do is I, I'm like, I want to make something fun. And I want to make a documentary that people leave and go, that was fun. Versus like, uh, this is so heavy. I love the Andy Irons doc. I loved it. But... I was, I knew how it ended, and it was so dark, and it was just like, you know, and it was beautiful, beautiful You film. have to make it. Yeah. But it's hard to watch. But it's hard to watch. Yeah. And you don't, and you know, after that movie, the, I was, I went to the premiere, and, and, I, and you don't leave there, you leave there a little heavy hearted, yeah, you know, and you should. So, but anyway, so. Um, I can't remember what the original question was. About figuring oh, out the narrative. The narrative. The- so, so we, I, I 
basically CJ and Damien and I, we sat down and, and I just, I knew stories of their life because I grew up with them and we've always been in touch. So I basically plotted out like, okay, tell me about this. Tell me about this. Tell me about this. And then anything else, anything else in your, in your life story that you think we should touch upon. And they're actually really great about like, they, they really knew like what would resonate and what wouldn't resonate. And I kept saying and repeating over and over again, let's take surfing out of it. Pretend you're not a pro surfer that you, you're a construction worker. Treat it like that and tell me, because that's the most interesting thing. I don't need to know about, we're not, there's going to be surfing in it, of course, because that's what you do. But let's try to tell it with as little surfing as possible and not make it about your surfing. Let's make it about your life. Completely. And I think, I mean, from a business standpoint, that has more applicability once you go to distribute. Yes. You know, like people on who watch Netflix documentaries would be interested in hearing any human interest story. Yes. No matter what the athletes profession is or yeah and that's yeah and that's something what you did like i i focus grouped this film so much i showed from the hardcore surf fan to the person that knows absolutely nothing and i to find that medium and I, i had specific questions i'd ask them like did you understand this did you like this did this make you feel this way did you you know like these questions to people to find that sweet spot because i didn't I didn't want to make a movie just for the surf world. I wanted to make a movie that the surf world would love and enjoy, yeah. but I wanted to be able to hit a broader audience because it is. It's it's a human interest tale, and it's and, and identical twins are fascinating. The more I did so much research, and the more I dug, it's unbelievably fascinating. And their relationship is textbook to a lot of other identical twins. Really? Yes. In what ways? In some of the ways that they um, they they almost fear each other. In the sense of like, if we were twins and you broke your leg, I would think that I might break my leg pretty soon. And it happens. Like, there's this, there's a couple of things in the movie that I don't want to give away, but um, there's a couple of bad things that happen in the movie that literally we to- one of them told the story, and then the next day it happened to the other twin, to CJ, really? to Damien. Yeah, Damien tells us. CJ tells a, a story about his life. The next day, Damien gets a call, and it's the exact same thing that CJ just talked about in his life. Right. See, Damien talks about almost getting dying on a wave. CJ almost has it happen to him literally the next day. Yeah. Like almost the stunt. It was. Uh, we. I was like, CJ, thank you for being the stunt double for the scene that Damien just talked about. Right. Yeah. Right. So think, you, you can't script that. No, you can't. And you hear about, I've heard stories about that with twins who live in different parts of the world mm-hmm. and somebody will break a leg and the other twin feels a pain in their leg at the mm-hmm. same time. Yeah. What and is that? You, you, you know, you chalk it up to, ah, oh, it's just, you know, it's just a wise tale. It's, but having now watched it happen and unfold in front of me, yeah. and I, I, it's, there's something to it. There's some sort of connection. And to be honest, there's also a comfortability to, to being an identical twin. Even if you are across the other side of the world, you almost feel like you always have someone with you. And I always attested that to how they were able to stay on tour for so long because it's grueling. And that's something we go. I wanted to go into the film too. Like No one's ever done, as far as I know, and maybe I'm wrong, but no one's ever really done a documentary. Up until recently, no one was really doing real documentaries on pro surfers they were just sort of like these like oh it's a documentary but it was just tons of surfing yeah so um no one ever had done it and but i was like no one's ever done anything on competing the world tour the heats no one's broken those down like you know they always mention it a little bit but they never really talk about it and i want like you know with this film and some of the heat stuff we go through like i'm like i want to talk about it like i feel like that's interesting even if you don't know pro surfing or you don't know surfing at all i think it could be interesting to anyone to hear 
what you're doing, what happens out there, you know? Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the business of Mm -hmm. making a documentary. I started talking about and to if by C five years ago. Yeah. When that first was a Kickstarter or GoFundMe? It is a Indiegogo. Indiegogo, that's yeah. right. We and I was like directing fans towards it. Mm-hmm. And um then I was wondering for a couple of years if it just went away completely or if it was in production. I didn't know. Yeah. What was that process like for you? I think what you were wondering was the same thing we were wondering. Okay. Um it's tough. Any you know, you can ask any independent documentary maker and especially like, you know, um, with us just starting and, and not really knowing, you know, we raised money. We raised money on Indiegogo, but it only gets you so far. So what'd you do? You started out and you said, I need X number of dollars to make this project. Or was it just to start the project? You know, going in, um, we weren't really sure exactly what we were going to make. We had an idea, but you, until you, so back to what I was talking about documentaries, like I talked to everyone, I talked to the producers who had won like, um, doc, Oscars for documentaries. People I had known and made them, and I asked everyone every question I could. You know, what do I do? How do you get the answers in the interview? I watched, um, I watched um, 20, 20, 60 minutes. I watched them like interview people and try to get the answers they wanted. And like, you know, I did, I did all this research. So, um, you know, I knew this money would get us so far that we raised. I'm like, okay, this is probably the most we can raise. I think, I don't even know if we can raise this money, but we're going to try. And if we do, it can get us this far. And then with this money, I will be able to make something that I can use to take to private investors. And that's exactly what we did. We created the sizzle. It's actually, I mean, it's on YouTube. It's on Vimeo. It was, it came out nice. What'd you raise? How much? We we, we raised 86,000. Okay. So that got us about, it got us through Tahiti and then got us into Hawaii and some, some stuff at uh, lowers. But, um, you know, again, you know, everyone goes, well, why do you have to spend so much money? But when you're making a real movie and you're hiring real talent and you're using real equipment, it you want it costs money. You know, and you're buying archive footage and yeah. yeah. Luckily, we didn't have to buy much archive. Um, really? Yeah, we we um, we partnered with the WSL and they were um, they they're you know they're a partner on this film in a sense. They were you know they they they, they helped us with the footage and everything and cool. find it and stuff. So yeah, good. Yeah. So you get the 86k. Mm-hmm. You do the sizzle reel. Mm-hmm. Um, which included some of those initial interviews. Yep. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then where do you go from there? So from there, you start going to private investors, in, including people like the WSL, and, and just I don't know. You just start reaching out to anyone and everyone you know has got money. And people and like, stepped up. We had yeah. I mean, it happened over that period of time. We would raise some money to get to this next level, and then we would need to raise more to get to this next level, and then we would, and then it got to the point where like we were so close to the finish line that you know we our a lot of our families were like. You know, we'll put this much in, we'll put this much in. But I, again, I knew smart enough. I was smart enough from the beginning. Like, I'm not just going to go make a movie and then go, hey, here's my movie. I'm done. I brought in producers that um, were also sales agents. And one of them was an entertainment lawyer. So we built a comp- we built it from the, right from the beginning. We had all the right paperwork. So when someone wanted to invest, it wasn't just like, hey, you know, wire me the money. I'll pay you later. There's, a, you know, it's a legit investment with legit paperwork, you know, risks and rewards, this is what you get. This is what you're putting in. Here's our, you know, LLC account. Like, it's not just, hey, send me a check and I'll pay you back when we finish, you know, mm-hmm. because, you know, if you're going to ask people for the amount of money we needed, you needed to be able to provide, you know, some re- some real paperwork to that. So are you comfortable sh- uh, saying what the final budget is? Um, I don't really want to share, but I will say that what we made this movie for was a lot less than what people guess when I asked okay. them. So um, we and we came in under our original budget by about a hundred thousand wow. dollars. 
Um, a lot of that's just me living and working in the industry that I do and just begging and like, and, and having people like, it was crazy. Like we had people like that believed in the film so much they would like work for free. Like, mm. you know, like, you know, do like the color grade that would normally be like 40 grand, like Marshall Plant. He, he did it. He did it for free because he loved the movie. So awesome. Yeah. And what does the return on that look like? Is the, is it going to make money? That's the million dollar question. Um, we've really? had, we had <laughs> well, hopefully, like I said, like I brought sales agents on on board right away because I didn't want. I've heard so many nightmare stories. You make the movie and then it's like, now what? How do I make my money back? So I have sales well, agents. And over yeah. the course of five years, that changes. Like how do you oh, yeah. make money off a movie five years ago oh, yeah. is different than now. And that's and that's another thing. Yeah, no, there's some of the distribution offers. We got it. was crazy. We were getting offers before we off the sizzle. Like they were like, we'll give you this, but we're like, hold on, let's wait till we finish because we're getting this. We'll get more when we get to the finish. But a lot, some of those offers, they don't exist anymore because that platform doesn't exist anymore. You know, like like Vimeo used to pay. They would, you know, now they're like, no, we don't do that anymore. So in the times we live in, literally, you're right, five years, everything could change. It could be like, you know, but we're living in a, in a strange time in the sense that it's a buyer-seller's market for, for films. Um, it's a buyer's market because there's such great content being made out there like our film. And so, you know, we have it. It's ready to go. Like, you know, it's legally cleared. You could buy it. It's ready to put on distribution today. Um, but it's also a seller's market because it's an arms race right now. You have Netflix, you have Hulu, you have Amazon, you have Apple throwing their hat in the ring. You have HBO going from 50 film, 50 projects a year to 500. You know, they're all like, they're all trying to stock up as most weapons as they can. So they need great content. But that being said, they need great content that they feel that there's an audience out there clamoring for it. So that's sort of where we're at right now is we're, we're touring this film you know, around the festivals, we're entering tons of festivals. We're entering, and we're and CJ and Damien and I are we're on a political campaign. We're we're going around the country. We've got offers to bring it to Switzerland, and and we're gonna go, and we're gonna um, we're gonna you know, like shake hands, kiss babies, all that stuff, and and you know, and get get people excited about it, get the word of mouth out there. So, and it's been, we've only really done this three times now, and tonight will be our fourth, but um, it's working. People people really enjoy the movie, so. What's your ideal scenario? My ideal scenario is to to get it on some sort of a streaming platform. I, you know, I just want a lot of people to see it. I didn't make this film to win an Oscar. To be honest, and this is weird for me maybe, but I've always said I don't actually care if I ever win an Oscar. Not that I would ever be nominated, but I, I actually don't care. That's not who I'm interested in. I don't care if 20 people who are kind of out of touch decide if my movie is good. I would rather have the masses decide if my movie is good. So Yeah, but getting paid... And getting paid well will allow you to make more of these things. Of course. You know? And yeah, to me, I, I'm taking that approach. Like, and that's and honestly, that's the way I built this movie from the beginning was I built it um, to, again, like I don't, I, I don't care if I got in Sundance. I didn't care. That's not my goal. Like, I'd rather get this out to the world than get this into some fest, small, you know, like festival that these people decide. Like, I, I honestly, I don't even know if it would get accepted and I don't even care about that because I, I built it like, like I keep saying, I keep saying I built it like a Marvel movie because they make all the money now. So, <laughs> um, when did Daniel Tosh sign on? How did that come about? That's that question comes up a bunch. Comes up a bunch, and it's it's quite interesting. So what happened was is when CJ's last year on tour, when he got that ten in Tahiti, uh, T- Daniel Tosh tweeted, "Ten never retire." We actually put that on the screen in yeah, the movie. Yeah, that's right. And that was real. So, and I was just I was on Twitter and I saw it and I was like. At the time in my head, I was trying to think. I knew I wanted a narrator. That's for the film. Like, I want a narrator. I want to do that. I love that. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't want a surfer. 
I want someone outside the box. I want someone that's not like, you know, like just everyone's gonna be like, oh, that's pretty obvious, you know. And I also didn't want someone to just lay down some facts. I don't want them to say they were born in 1980, blah, 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 and they were raised in Sally Beach and then go away. I wanted the the person to be an unreliable narrator, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with an unreliable mm-hmm. narrator. Yeah, so, so, you know, Mark Twain, Forrest Gump was an unreliable narrator. It's throughout, you know, literature and, and film. I want him to be a character, and I wanted, and people told me that you can't do that. They're like, you can't do that in a documentary because you're trying to tell this truthful story, and I'm like, I don't care what you're telling me. I'm going to try it regardless. So I needed the right person. So when Tosh tweeted that, it just was like a revelation. I'm like, wow, he is, would be perfect. He would be the great unreliable narrator. This is his his life is a, you know his comic is unreliable narration. Like it's fantastic. That's what his show is. So um, I had our producers reach out to his manager, and they were like, yeah, we'll we'll email his manager and see. And his manager emailed emailed back within a day or two and was like. He wants to talk to you guys, and let me just tell you right now, he turns down everything. He turns down movie roles. He turns down commercials. He turns down every single thing. He won't do. He won't go on talk shows. He won't do anything. He likes to do his show on Comedy Central. He likes to do his his comedy tours, and he refuses to do anything else. But he wants to do this. So, um, we got on the phone with him, and what it was is he was a fan. He's a fa- fantasy Jan Damon. He actually, before the call we did with him, he sent us a, a newspaper clipping of an ESA contest he was in as a, in Florida that they were in too. Crazy. And uh, so he, he grew up fairly near. Yeah, he grew up. He grew up. Yeah, in the area. And uh, and and he and he, and he surfs. And right. he, he loves surfing, but he doesn't love it enough to where he, he doesn't want to be involved with the professional sport. He doesn't want to like go on you know webcasts or anything like that. But he just was a fan of these guys, and so he wanted to do it. But he was, of course, he was hesitant because he was like, he doesn't do anything that's not his. And so he was very hesitant of like, what what do you want me to do, you know? And um, when we went when he we went in to record him and I and you know into the the studio, um, I told him I'm like, look, I want you to be Daniel Tosh. I want you to be a character in the film. I want you to you know we had a we had a script and um, but you know we sent to ahead of to him ahead of time to him. And he, you know, he he changed some stuff, and but he, he pretty much kept to the script. But you know, he did he changed some stuff to be. And I was like, I want you. He's like, is it okay if I change this? I'm like, yes, I want you to be Daniel Tosh. So change it to what you want to do. You know, obviously, and it was funny. There was a lot of hesitation and worry that he was going to be too much Daniel Tosh, and they were have to make the film R-rated. But he was great about um, keeping it. He he didn't want it to be that, which I thought was quite respectful. Um, he did some jokes that didn't make the movie that he didn't want to put in, but I was like, I would put that in. He was like, No, we can't put that in. <laughs> That's fine. So you get one afternoon with him to get uh, all that yeah, done. Yeah, he it, we knocked it out in like I'd say like three or four hours. I mean, he that's what he does for a living. Right. <laughs> so my thought is, you're working on a constrained budget. Uh huh. You get the opportunity for something like that. Something like that probably costs a lot of money and probably mm-hmm. is outside the budget. You uh-huh. have to go scrape together more money just to make that happen? Or um, I don't really want to reveal the financials of that, but we didn't. Um, we worked out something with him that was quite special and quite, um, again, quite admirable on his part. He just, he just wanted to do it. So, yeah. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board, 
Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, when you're making a film over the course of five years, I would imagine as much as you can try to structure that narrative at the beginning of the five years, mm-hmm. maybe the narrative changes. Were there things that happened throughout the course of the five years? That- of course, yeah. I mean, and it's funny because it's a living story. Like, yeah, we could exactly. still we could still be shooting this movie, to be honest. I was wondering, it's almost like, the ending isn't really... I mean, the, the Hobgood story ending certainly isn't done. Yeah. You know? Oh, no. So you yeah. have to kind of pick. That's And that's one thing I learned um, from people I talk to documentaries. Like, you're doing, when you're doing telling a living story, you have to pick an end. Because technically, you could shoot till they die. Yeah. And then that's the end. But, you know, you have to choose an ending. So, um, and I tell people in a way, it was a blessing that it took five years to make this film. Because had we finished in a year or two, we wouldn't have the story that we have. Right. It wouldn't have... Honestly, it wouldn't be as good. Right. Um, and... and one thing I think people don't realize is every movie, whether that be a documentary or even a big feature, like some of these movies take forever. Like I used to work at a company called Anonymous Content that produces uh, movies like The Spot, Spotlight, you know, True Detective, and they did a movie called The Revenant. That movie, that script was around for 10 years before it got made. Samuel L. Jackson was attached as Leo's character at one point. It was a different Crazy. movie. So you know you go see the revenant you're like oh they you know shot that in a year or two yeah they maybe shot that in a year or two but that thing was around for 10 years before it ever even got made so wow it's a good story of perseverance yeah that's that's the part of this um this process that i think filmmakers and people like myself we have some sort of amnesia to where um we do it and we forget how bad it was and then we're like oh we'll just do it again and then you're in it and you're like why am i doing this right <laughs> Well, so that actually segues perfectly with what was going to be my next question, yeah. which is um, you had a lot of unexpected hurdles. Mm-hmm. Would you go back and do things any differently? Like at the beginning of that five year, would you have designed something differently knowing what you know now? You know what? I don't think I, I, it, I don't think I would have. I feel like everything fell into place the way it was supposed to. Okay. And the timing came together the way it was supposed to. And the story itself, um, it, it just all sort of like, there's like, there was like a magic to it. Like, the end, the, the the end of the movie, like that was like, th- like that was another thing we couldn't script. That's real. That 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 trip at the end, like that was real. That happened, and the way it happened is how it happened, and like, it feels like that to me. I'm, I always wonder if people go like, oh, they made that part up. That part we didn't make up. That mm. really happened, and it just felt like, 
like something that that was supposed to happen so yeah um what's your i obviously this is still a current project Mm -hmm. but do you have something in the works next i do have had some things thrown at me but i i keep telling people like i I do we just gave birth to this baby and now we have a toddler to raise so and I, i you know there's only so many times in a person's career you get a project where you have total creative control and i was given that on this film like cj and damien basically said make it show it to us um and even the producers we brought on board like you know they they give me input but i have final say yeah um and i really kind of like lost myself in it and like relished it i mean we focus grouped it and i listened to everyone's comments to make because i again i'm not making the movie for myself you know that does me no good to make a movie for myself or even for my friends i need to make a movie that people all around the world will love so um, but I did have final say in creative control, and even with like Tosh and the unreliable narrator, and people telling me you can't do that, I was like, I'm going to do it, and I did it. So um, I kind of just became so absorbed into to making this film and telling a story, their story, that I just felt like it can help a, a lot of people, a lot of siblings, a lot of twins, a lot of people raising kids, and then also uh, I just since I grew up surfing and I love surfing, I wanted to be someone that told the rest of the world about surfing and actually Sal Masekela said it um, to me um, he was like this might be the film that explains surfing to the world he said that he was like because no one's ever really done it you know no one knows a lot of people who surf don't even know how the world tour works <laughs> right do you have any interest to tell more surf stories I, I've been offered some of those and I do I, I, there's honestly if you the stories I've heard, when, even when I traveled young, with these guys when I was younger, and just now, like I mean, I'm sure you've heard some stories where you're like about some of these guys and what they've had to do and go through. There's, there's some compelling stories in surfing. Some of the things I've been offered, though, I've, I've, it's, it's younger kids, and I'm like, you don't have a story yet. Like CJ and Damien, they were at the end of their career. That was the time to tell their story. You don't tell your story in the beginning. There's, you don't have a story yet. I mm-hmm. want to know. I don't want to know how you made it. I want to know how you made it and how you continued to make it and then what happened in the end. So I've been, and I've been offered, because of my background in music videos, I've been offered some some stuff with artists, but what I learned in this process is with CJ and Damien is um, I don't want to take on, a, I won't take on a documentary if I don't think the person's going to um, tell the truth and be willing to tell their dirtiest, darkest secret to the world. You have to be willing and, and you know, CJ and Damien, they didn't want to do it sometimes. Like, I can't blame them. Like, they didn't want to be honest, you know, and tell the things they told in this movie. But I kind of just had to keep reminding them, like, like you got to be honest. And they do and they were, so. Yeah. Yeah, no, they get raw. Yeah. There's some really raw things in the movie. Yeah. If you were given complete creative control um, on a project, what yeah. story in surfing would you like to tell? You know, I, that's a great question. I, I would like to tell another. I like the human interest stories. So, you know, I, you know. Mick Fanning, if you're listening, Mick Fanning, <laughs> I think he has such a cool, interesting story um, that I don't, don't even know that much about. I only know from what I've read, and know, I don't really know him. You know, I've met him when we interviewed him for the for the film. But you know, and I, you know, there's some amazing. He's got an amazing story. You know, even beyond the shark attack. You know, like the stuff. His brother died when he was really young. Yeah, um, yeah. He had a lot of He's, hardship. Yeah, and 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 then you know what he did with the money with with the from he got from the interview he you know gave it to a kid like i think he's such an interesting guy and so a, a story like that like if i'm going to if i'm going to go back and do this story something in surfing i want it to be on someone and i built the, this this antu by c i built it out of cj and damien like 
I built everything, the music, the the titles. I wanted everything to feel like them. Even the the, the jokes, the narrative, like like I know you weren't a fan of some of the jokes because I heard your podcast and you said that, which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say I wasn't a fan of the jokes. <laughs> no, it's fine. Look, I, I always say like I'm like you can't make something for everyone, and you still said you like the movie. So yeah, yeah so you know I, I look at it like it doesn't offend me. Like you know I you just you can't please everyone with everything, so you just do the best you can. So, but um, I built this film, and that's the way I feel like if I'm gonna do another film on someone else. I don't want, I'm just not going to be like, hey, let's start tomorrow. I want to sit down with them and I want to learn everything because I want to build the way the titles look. I want to build the interviews. I want to build the whole way this film feels. I want it to be you because this is your story. This is your life. Like, it needs to breathe that person. It does. I mean, you successfully did it because everything from like the poster to the font used and mm-hmm. all of that stuff matches the same aesthetic. Yeah. You know, like yeah. It's, it's all very cohesive. Um, Whose films are you excited to watch? Whether it be in the surf world or outside of the surf world. Are there directors who you yeah. really enjoy and look forward to? Obviously, Michelle Gondry, Spike That's Jones. That's not obvious. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I guess to me, yeah. Um, uh, Spike Jones, uh, Quentin Tarantino. I-, I actually worked at a band apart for like five years. No way. Yeah, in, in music videos. I never met Quentin. That's, of course, first first people I always ask, did you meet him? Like, he doesn't come in that office. Um, he never did. Um, but um, I I loved I loved the way he... I, he's one of my favorite people, filmmakers ever. So I love Quentin Tarantino, obviously. Um, Spike Jones, Michelle Gondry. And I'm also... I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of, of the Marvel films. Like, um, a lot of people think those are cheesy, but I'm a fan of them. I watched Endgame four times because, to me, that was whether you love or hate them, the fact that they were able to take 22 movies over the course of 10 years and bring it down to one final kind of end movie, it, to me, that's cinematic genius. The writers of that film, I don't... I, 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 every time I watch it, that's all I think about is like, how did you do that? Mm. <laughs> so, Interesting. Yeah. Um, do you have any advice for first-time filmmakers? Quit now. Um, don't do it. Find something else that makes money. Go be a lawyer. Um it's we live in i was doing this last night i had people ask me after the q a we just showed the film in palm beach gardens last night i had a couple young filmmakers ask me advice and it's we live in such a strange time that you have to make it before you make it you know and you can because you can distribute your own stuff now you know and you have to find what you and your angle and 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 you have to be willing to suffer you're gonna suffer you're gonna go through times where you're like why do i do this and if you don't love it don't do it like quit find something else because it isn't this you know you hear the success stories like oh this guy made all this money he's this big director he makes all this money and he does these huge films like that isn't everyone and even those people like the stuff that the biggest directors in the world have to go through is it torments you and in every project i've done even a music video like i feel like i lose a piece of myself to it really just working for somebody else and trying to achieve their vision or no or just, just by pouring your heart and soul i pour it? my heart and soul yeah. into it and it becomes a part of me um and you know just you know in my own personal life like i went through so much with this movie that i feel like it is a part of me as well and like i poured so much into it that like it's it's tough for me to watch actually because it reminds me of parts of my life <laughs> interesting yeah yeah um so will you uh, again if this goes to a streaming service uh-huh. and it's the amount of money that you will make on it uh-huh. does it even you spent five years on it it's hard to even like um 
quantify how much you made on an hourly rate. So when you're when you're giving that advice to young filmmakers, yeah. obviously it's good advice to tell them to go be a lawyer if you actually want to yes. make money or something yes. like that. Yes. And so if you just want to exercise this passion, then by all means, do it. Mm-hmm. And if you make a little bit of money, great. Mm-hmm. But my question is more just, will you make money on it, period? I mean, even in the best case scenario, do you really make money on it? Myself personally or the film? Yeah, yeah. Um, Again, it's it's almost it's it's like going to Vegas and putting your money on black. It, you don't know, you know, and that's the thing with every film. Like you know, you, you can't predict if a film's going to make money. I mean, look at Napoleon Dynamite. Like that's I think it's the highest grossing film because of what it cost to what it made. No one ever thought that. They didn't know that. They didn't know that it was going to do that. If you did, if you if you knew, you no. could just continue to do it. Yeah, you know, it was such an honor. So yeah, yeah. So you know, it's a, it's a risk. You know, studios they spend, they try everything they can to try to figure it out, and no one's been able to figure it out because there's just it's just a magical thing you can't figure out. So yeah, who knows? This movie we could sell it for a, the most money ever for a documentary. Who knows? Probably not. But. Um, you know, as far as myself making money, yeah, I mean, I had, I obviously did other, th- I didn't just do this documentary or I would be homeless. I had, to, you know, I did a lot of, um, I continued doing directing work for higher stuff yeah. in, in the meantime yeah. to, you know, to pay my bills and, and to stay alive. And, you know, um, and I was able to pay myself some, but um, if it sells and I, I own a piece of it, so I would make some money. But that's, you, if it's like anything in life, like you, if you're going to go into something to make money, that's not, especially, uh, any kind of art like don't do that it's the wrong reason don't either. go don't become a director don't become a producer don't become a music artist to make money if you do that you, it's it's never going to work yeah yeah completely um well i guess we will then just let listeners know where to find it once it becomes available yeah right now just look for screenings look for screenings yeah i mean we're gonna keep showing it in theaters and, and we're entering you know as many festivals as we can and and then eventually it will be available, um, you know, to the public, you know, VOD, SVOD. Within something. the next year? Um, I believe so, yeah. I mean, I, I've, you know, when it sells, it sells, but I believe so. I, I really, I'd really love for it to be available by, uh, by, you know, by Christmas to people to watch on iTunes if, uh, or on a streaming service if we, if we get it there. Awesome. Thank you so much. No, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Don't care about being a winner Or being smooth with women Or going out on Fridays Being the life of parties No
So first of all, I just want to say thank you to you guys for coming here, for being here, Justin for making the film, CJ and Damien for living such an amazing life, inspiring so many people. Um, I was a grown, I grew up here in Florida, and in a lot of ways, like these guys are younger than me, and yet I still looked up to them. And I moved to California and lived there for 10 years, and I followed these guys' career, and they were huge inspiration to me. So it's really a dream come true for me to have you guys here and share the stage with you. Um, thank you for making a great film, but most of all, thank you for making a real film. And like, thank you for giving us like a real look into your guys' life. Um, I got, there's a question in there. So we're going to put my man's mustache right here. I got to have a sex guy. This is the, it goes with the firefighter uniform, for sure, for sure, yes. It's just pure laziness, actually. <laughs> we actually said we wouldn't do a Q&A unless you had one, so there you go. <laughs> I agree. That, yeah, I'll do anything for the festival. But no, seriously, thank you for making a very real film, a very real perspective into your guys' life. And my question in that is, was there ever um, discussion in the beginning of making this just like a full victory lap? Like, not talking about the real stuff, not talking about the hardships, and just making it like, hey, like, hey, we're all good. No, no way. No way. There's, there's no healing in that. <laughs> Well, from the beginning, I kind of, we talked about it all, and I was like, we're not going to make a fluff piece. Like, we're not going to talk about how great you guys are. And, and I was like, be prepared. If you're not willing to tell your deepest, darkest secret in this movie, let's not even do it. So, um, I do. And Shay knows mine. <laughs> um, yeah, so, in they were on board, of course, it's like, you know, that's hard to do. Like, I, I don't know, I, I wouldn't do it. I, I talked them into doing it. I don't know how I did it, but they, I did. They didn't want to do it, but they did it. And, and to be honest, like that's that's what makes a movie is like, you know, you see these, thank you, yeah, you see you see documentaries, and it's like, oh, way, one, win, win, and you know, like, you know, no one wants to talk about the dark stuff, but that's everyone in life goes through dark stuff, and that's what you identify with. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for guys for being willing to do that. Um, Along those lines, I mean, you guys, oh, it feels like we just went through a therapy session almost. Like, And this is kind of an attribute to everybody up here, Justin, for asking the real hard questions. And then you guys for being raw and actually vulnerable and answering those questions. We're actually going to invoice you guys all for yeah. this. <laughs> um, what's been kind of, what's happened since then? I mean, obviously you shared some really significant stuff. We, CJ and I have talked about this a little bit about with the podcast that I do where people share things and it feels raw and vulnerable, but then what the community responds to it and engages with it and then feels comfortable actually reaching out and saying something meaningful. So what's happened since this has kind of come to light? This give you real good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, this is only our third premiere, so... We haven't got the, uh, the response has been good. I, I don't really know. Uh, it's really weird watching yourself. What has happened since the movie? What has happened? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's happened except here's what has happened is I'm so stoked that we get to use this movie to connect with all you guys and I get to come back to Florida 
and I feel like I should be in the stands, and I don't feel like I should be up here, and I get to see Shay and Don and all these amazing people, and, and the movie doesn't really mean anything, but that means a lot to me, so thank you. Well, let me ask it in a different way. Um, I, don't, I think a lot of people in the audience aren't really, a lot of people don't have the opportunity of retrospection until very late in life. You guys sitting here staring at a mirror midway through life, you still have another 30 years left to live. <laughs> Experiencing, hey, sorry, sorry, another half your life left to live. Uh, I'm not very good at math, okay? It's not my strong suit. What do you have, like kind of now getting the mirror, looking forward, what do you, how do you change your life, living your life, moving forward based on kind of this benefit of retrospection at midlife? Um, Dang, sorry, Siege. No, 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 you're, no, uh, no, I like it because uh, a, lot, a lot of times the, the things, you know, we want to do, we don't do, you know? And when you're able to look at it like that, you really go, okay, you know, that's, that's what my heart wants to do and, and, that's what I, and that's what I need to do and that's what I do. And so like, it's easier for me, I feel like, with that retrospection to go like, okay, these are the things that matter and don't let the things that don't matter get in the way. And even though they do creep in, I'm able to, to, to keep them at bay or, or fight them off a little bit easier. Um, so that's, that, that's some retrospection I'm going to have uh, from that. So. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I'm going to lighten it up a little. <laughs> so one of the consistent themes throughout the movie was your sponsorship package and how you guys started out as sponsored together sponsored separately, together, separate. It was, that's something that played out throughout your career. And it didn't really address it in the film, but CJ is, um, you know, he, it did address the fact that CJ is a part owner of Salty Crew, and now Damien writes for Salty Crew as well. And is that something that... I'm his boss, is that what you're getting at? I, I mean, I don't want to say it, I don't want to say it, but... Throughout the film, you guys talked about making that a conscious decision. Was that a conscious decision to bring Damien into the brand, or did it just happen? I made him. Actually, to be, hey, to be quite honest, he was, su he was such a cheerleader, and they were like, dude, we gotta bring Damo on. I'm like, heck no, you don't bring him on. The guy's cheerleading the whole time. You don't need to bring him on. And they were like, nah, we should. I'm like, all right, if it's up to me, like, nah, we don't bring him on. <laughs> Let's hear Justin's backstory. What brought you to the project? Um, I, had, I had gone to a screening in Los Angeles of a Serena and Venus documentary. I got invited and I uh, left there that night and it just reminded me so much of their, their relationship. The, 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 you know, the pushing each other in a sport. And uh, we had probably hadn't spoken in a month. You know, we always kept in touch, but we hadn't spoken in months. And I just, it was 
got late home late at night and I just fired off an email to both of them and was like, hey, I just watched this Venus Serena documentary, like, thought of you guys, would you ever want to do this? And uh, I woke up in the morning and I had an email from CJ and Damien, and if Damien emails you back, then you know it's like for real, because he just doesn't respond. So, and they both were like, yeah, this is, you know, we're actually at a point in our careers where we, we actually have been thinking about doing something like this. So, and so we were like, yeah, let's do it, it'll be easy. We'll just start, raise a little bit of money, and you know, next thing you know, we'll have a movie. And uh, well, that didn't go that way, but five years later. Five years later but like I think I, I told you earlier on the podcast, like honestly, like had we finished in a year or two, we wouldn't have this movie, we wouldn't have a, a, not a good a product. The, the time that it took actually allowed us to get to that. And um, what's funny is about the Salty Crew thing is, is um, right when we were starting to finish the, the movie, uh, Damien called me and he was like, I don't, you know, I think, I think my thing with Fox is going to end. And I like hung up and I immediately called CJ and I'm like, dude, you got to put him on Salty Crew, we got to put in the movie because that's the perfect ending. We'll bring it back together. And, uh, but, I, you know, my produce, my producers and, and everyone's like, you got to stop. Like, you got to pick an ending. We can't just keep doing this. Like, you know, it's a, it's a living story. Like, you could, we could still be making this movie. Both of them are alive. So, you know. That's a perfect yeah. segue, actually, because yeah. there really isn't yet an ending. Yeah. So when you start the project five years ago and you're looking at, there's so many storylines. Mm -hmm. We saw a bunch of them. How do you even pick a narrative? What do you, like, as a filmmaker, you look at these two guys mm -hmm. Where's the story? How do you pick the, the actual through line? The, the through line basically was like their relationship. Like, you know, I, I, growing up with them, I watched them like fight each other and get mad at each other and like CJ like get mad at Damien before he went to some high school party and being like, you're not going to wear jeans because I'm wearing jeans and you will wear jeans then like we'll look the same. So you will change those jeans right now. And like I watched all that. So, you know, and I saw this bickering, but then I also would see them you know, when I travel with them at contests, I would see them like be like, okay, here's what I did. Here's what you need to do. Here's what I'm thinking. So I was like, wow, there's this like, interest, such an interesting dynamic of like, it helps you being a twin, but it also harms you. And then as, you, as we dug deeper into like what the movie would be about in the through line, it was like, yeah, being an identical twin fueled their career, but it also kind of ripped their personal lives apart. So those were the two dynamics that we just wanted to constantly kind of hit with everything we could. And anything within the story that we could tell to, to, to supplement that is what we went with. So follow up to that is now that you guys aren't competing against one another, are, is your relationship closer or farther apart now? Do you have something tying you together at this point? I have a good story. They were both at the end of the day and Damien told me that he called CJ because he lost his phone and like CJ was cussing at him and screaming at him on some woman's Bluetooth phone in her truck at the beach. So <laughs> what yeah. happened you guys? Break it down. We want the, <laughs> who's at fault? This, are we three, or three, or this is our third show in. Yeah. I've been around this guy too long. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, is yeah, I, I yelled at him, and he came back to the car just laughing. Ah, I was like, God, I love it. I could drop as many F-bombs on him, and he don't even care. <laughs> Obviously, this whole film festival is based on film and storytelling. What is the model at this point? Can you guys make a living? Will there be a return on this investment? It's a significant investment. There's some investors in the audience. Let's. So let's we're going to say yes. <laughs> Absolutely. When this hits iTunes, everybody buy a copy, send it to friends. <laughs> but realistically, what does it look like? What's the future of Surf Film? I've, I've, I mean, I don't know. Um, <laughs> you you, you got to answer it. <laughs> 
How's the tour gone so far? Oh, there, there was one guy that showed up one time. Um, <laughs> well, CJ and I were like, I mean, the, the, the premise of this, doing this whole thing for us was like, hey, like, if we can tell our story and inspire someone else to tell their story, then it was worth it for us. And um, so, yeah, there's your answer because storytelling is what we have. It's what we... Uh, so we all bond with and we all can connect with and um, so yeah don't be scared to share your story it means a lot and we saw chris earlier this evening chris's film the film that aired at six o'clock i mean it's amazing it's amazing story shot on an iphone yeah. with zero budget yeah. essentially yeah. Yeah. yeah we we did not shoot an iphone and we there was definitely more than zero budget right right right, right. <laughs> let me ask this did you have something to say oh uh, as far as the money's concerned like um to the investors in the audience, um, yes, of course. Like we actually, this, I think I, I mentioned this on your podcast. Like we, we, yeah, we spent money on this thing, but like this, the whole cost of this movie was I've done, I've directed music videos with twice the budget, which is a three-minute music video. So we did spend money, but in today's global economy and global film consumption, um, I feel positive because we have the product and we have, you know, we have someone like Daniel Tosh who is going to like start to, he's gonna talk about it on a show, he's gonna tweet about it, he's gonna reach out to his audience. And part of the reason we've been doing all of this is to get the hype, to get all you people here and hopefully you go and tell people that you like it. If you don't like it, just don't say anything to anybody. But like, you know, we get the word out, like get that buzz going, like this is a great film, you should see it. So when it does go on Netflix, Hulu, whatever it goes, you know, iTunes, like everyone here is like, oh, you should buy this. I want to buy it. I want to watch it. I'm going to watch it on Netflix. So, you know, we, I, I feel confident that we will be able to return the money. So, I would love to know uh, from, C yes, absolutely. Um, from CJ and Damien, I mean, you guys have obviously interacted with tons of the icons of surfing. Who would you love to see Justin, whose story would you love to see Justin tell? What stories are there out there for the next documentary? <laughs> You know, I have friends that I would like, I was absolutely like, oh, that would be the best person to tell their story, but man, it's hard. It really is, and I don't know. You know, definitely I was, I think of uh, Bobby Martinez and Carissa Moore, and I'm like, I mean, Carissa Moore's got so much stuff, Bobby's got so much stuff. I don't know what, at what point that is. You know, we were like 36, 37. You know, um, I don't know what I don't know what that point is where you just sit down and you're just like, all right, man, I'm just ready to spill it all. You know, um, so I don't know where that is for them or, or for anybody. You know, because you could want to tell a story, but if they're not willing and if or if they're not ready to go there for that healing and they're not, you know, sort of broken enough to go, all right, like you know, I got nothing else to lose. And uh, yeah, so we I have the I have the. Yeah, I don't know, but man, the, these things aren't easy. I don't, I don't know if I'd wish that on you, Justin, to go do another one of these. Please don't do that. Don't do it. And it, it was five years in the making, correct? Yeah. So I, I think I, I have a question that I think everybody here is thinking, and standing up here in front of God and everybody, at any point in your career, from ESA to WCT, did you guys? 
ever surf a heat for the other guy and not tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> it's time to come clean. We were joking around that Cole, that could be CJ. CJ could be your dad. You never know. <laughs> wow. At, at first, I didn't really want a uncle, but man, I was okay with it. We're going to open it up to the audience. Who has a question for any of these guys? Yes, sir. Being that it's Father's Day weekend, we got to all fathers. You guys. You guys. Both being fathers and, you know, seeing guys on tour starting to have kids and they're getting older or so forth. What would be your biggest piece of advice to those guys as they're so the question is is from Bucky is um, Bucky's got a question <laughs> the question is is what advice do they have for new fathers on tour which that we are starting to see that more and more yeah Julian there you go there you go um, yeah, I, I mean, th I'm thinking of advice. Uh, I, I'm thinking I should ask my son right here. What do you think, of boss? What was the question? <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. Thank you, son. That's what I was gonna say, Bucky. What the heck are you talking about? But something just came to mind, and I was thinking, just meet your kids where they're at. It has nothing to do with you. You're just gonna come alongside them and help them do whatever they wanna do. It's not your life. It's not your surf story. It's their life. And you're just gonna help them. Somebody else in the audience has a question. One, the last question, ooh, a lot of pressure. Last question. Who has the last question? In the back? Where's the hog good? Well, I thought we answered that. What's Justin's answer? What's Justin's answer of what's a hob good? What is a hob good? Um, two guys that. What was that? <laughs> two guys that I grew up with that allowed me to tell their story and let me convince them to tell things that they probably didn't want to tell and allowed me to make a movie about them um, that's probably painful for them to watch. One more. One last one from Joe. Who's got, who's got more heat wins on tour? I think Damien, right? More heat wins? Here, I want, I want to do this really quick. So, we're thinking, and, and I, we had a kind of a, I had a brief conversation with the WSL a couple days ago. So, in, is it September is when Tahiti is, Chopin? Sure. Yeah. So, whenever that contest is, so these guys are the two of the most winning guys ever at Chopu, right? Like they've oh, done the better. Yeah. So, so they, so that you know they do these heritage heats, right? Where they like bring the you know icons back. So we talked to WSL, and what we want to do is, so they never got in the movie. We talked about this. So Damien did. Like his dream was to surf against CJ in a final. They never got to do it. They never actually got to go man on man at Chopu. So 
at this year's contest, we want to do a special heat with these two and watch these guys battle it out. Would you guys want to see that? So, there's that petition. I'll sign it right now. I was going to say, we're going to start, we're putting together an MMA style trailer. We're going to put it out. Break the internet. And, uh, we want everyone here that wants to see that. Start, start hitting the WSL on their, on their social media and tell them you want to see that. And let's make that happen. Yes. Absolutely. One more. So I got a question, and it's not so much a question, but maybe some advice for all the Groms and siblings in here between CJ and Damien. Just a couple words of wisdom for all the kids in here growing up that are in the same position that you were you know, 23 years ago. <laughs> Words of wisdom for all the Groms and siblings that are coming up in surfing right now. Because we're in an inlet with a lot of them right now. Yeah. You know what, actually, uh, um, a, uh, a story that I was surfing in New Smyrna, and I came in and, and, I, and I didn't do, I didn't felt like I did good, and I was frustrated, and my dad looks at me and he goes, get in the car, son, we're going home. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, man, you're not having fun. Get in the car, we're going home. And I'm like, no, I'm not I'm having fun. No, it's cool, man. I'm, I'm having a great time. I love it. Um, but uh, yeah, my dad did. He just was like, dude, just have fun, man. Make it your own. Have fun. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's. Uh, I think that gave me some distance. And uh, yeah, I would just encourage that. Make it your own. Do what you do, man. And uh, you know, and you'll. Uh, You'll go far. Don't go fast, go far. All right, firstly, thank you to the Florida Surf Film Festival for hosting such an amazing event, actually hosting four of these events every year. Um, again, they do a phenomenal job of just investing in surf film. I've seen more great surf films there um, than I really have probably in the past, I don't know, eight to 10 years total. I grew up watching surf films, obviously. I love surf films and feel like the art was kind of dying as it's lost uh, financial viability. And to see film festivals like this, and specifically this one, um, supporting the art, I think just really gives people incentive and a platform to showcase their work because I'm pretty tied into the surf world and a lot of this, these films are flying under my radar. So kudos to the Florida Surf Film Festival. You can check out all of their info. I'll link to it on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And of course, congratulations to Justin Purser and the Hobgood Brothers on such a great project. Um, follow their social media feeds to find a screening near you and then I will alert you when that film becomes available to purchase and to view digitally. All right. If you enjoy my work or you enjoy this podcast, you can support it uh, in two ways actually. Firstly, just by promoting it to friends or anybody you think would be interested. We don't advertise, so this show's growth is just dependent on organic kind of interest in it. So tag somebody in it on social media, send them the URL link or the podcast and uh, that helps the show grow. And then secondly, we have a donation platform set up on surfsplendorpodcast.com slash donate. That goes a long way towards helping with travel expense and purchasing equipment and my you know 20 plus hours a week that I spend on this project. So thank you for that. 
And I hope that you are enjoying the Corona Open J-Bay event. We should wind that up probably tonight or today, depending on where you're at in the world. And I'll be back next week with an all-new episode of Surf Splendor. This is David Scales reminding you to get back into the ocean, share some waves, and shred on.